today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. In the midst of all of this majestic praise and worship and all that's going on, bam, everything's silent. Everything goes silent. Look what it says there in verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, have you ever heard this saying, silence is golden? Well, there's another saying. It talks about the quiet or the silence or the lull before the storm. I think that's what this one is about. It's a quietness that's going to happen before some pretty heavy, intense things that are going to be going on in the world and even in the heavenlies. Have you ever experienced a calm before a storm? It can be almost eerie how still everything is. Pastor David is likening that calm to the quiet that happened in Revelation. There was intense worship happening, then sudden quiet. We're tossing around the idea today that the stillness may be the quiet before the storm that's coming from the Lord. God's Word is so fascinating and it never ceases to keep us on our toes. As we listen in, we can be thankful for what foreknowledge we're given. Well, let's join Pastor David in the book of Revelation chapter 8 with today's edition of The Open Word. The book of Revelation, we are in chapter 8. We're now at that point of the seventh seal of the scroll that's going to be opened. If you remember back in chapter 1, or I mean chapter 4, I'm sorry, again, those, those great times of worship, we saw that, uh, first of all, the, the four living creatures, each having six wings, full of eyes around and within, they do not rest day or night crying out, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And then we see also in chapter 4, the 24 elders joining in with them at that. They cast their crowns before the throne, and they start crying out, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Remember last week we were talking about great times of worship. Well, we saw this earlier on in chapter 5. We read again where the four living creatures, the 24 elders, began to sing a new song. In verse 9 of chapter 5, And you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And we spoke to you about the fact that the call of God is, is wide. It's not limited. It's open to, again, whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord. That's the worship. That's the praise that they Proclaim, And they went on to say, And you've made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. And then John says a little bit further down that suddenly all of these angels join in. The number of them was like 10,000 times 10,000. Okay, real quick, all you mathematicians, how many is 10,000 times 10,000? 
A lot. Amen. That's my math right there. It's like a hundred million right there. But then he goes on to say, and thousands of thousands. So in essence, what John was saying is, it is just like this massive, massive, almost innumerable group of angels that are sitting there praying and praising the Lord. And they start crying out, worthy is the lamb who is slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And if the four and twenty elders, the four living creatures, and now millions and millions of angels weren't enough. He goes on to say there in chapter 5, down in verse 13, every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as were in the sea, all of them. Now that means every creature, even the animal world. Proclaiming the praises of God. No, pastor, the animals don't talk. No, but in their lives, God created them. There's a time of worship here that is unmatched, unseen in anything else that we see in all of Scripture. Suddenly, all of them coming together there in verse 13. Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures are saying, Amen. And the 24 elders falling down and worshiping him who lives forever and ever. How could you not be caught up in that kind of excitement, that kind of a worship experience? In chapter 6 was the introduction of the first six of the seven seals and all the different catastrophes that started coming about with each one. Then we came to chapter 7, and we read about another great time of praise and worship. First of all, they sealed the 144,000, 12,000 from every tribe of Israel. And so all of those were sealed. And then a little bit later on in there, after numbering and sealing all these, there was a multitude, he says in verse 9, a great multitude which no one could number, and again, of all nations, all tribes, all peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand, and they were crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And then in verse 11, And all the angels stood around the throne, and the elders and the four living creatures fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. There's one thing I want to stop real quick here and ask you. In all of this praise and worship that we've just looked at, is there any of that where you see them saying, God, would you do this? God, would you give me this? God, could you take care of this? It's just all worship. It's all praise. It's just giving him glory. Now, let me ask you, and I ask myself the same question, okay, so I'm not throwing you under the bus. What percentage of our prayer life is just flat-out praise and thanksgiving and gratitude to God for all? All that he is, not because you've given me stuff, not because you've done this to me, but just because of who he is. 
Beloved, I think every one of us could use more times of focused worship and praise, not because of what he's done for us, not what he's given us, but just because of the greatness of who he is. Oh, they cried in there, worthy is the lamb who was slain. We received your salvation. You redeemed us to God by your blood. I see that. I understand that. But by and large, the greatest portion of this is just praising God for the greatness of who he is. Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. All of this. Amen and amen. Now we move into chapter 8 and the very opening of now the, the seventh seal from that scroll. And it seems that almost in the midst of all of this majestic praise and worship and all that's going on, bam, everything's silent. Everything goes silent. Look what it says there in verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was a silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, have you ever heard this saying, silence is golden? Well, there's another saying. It talks about the quiet or the silence or the lull before the storm. I think that's what this one is about. It's a quietness that's going to happen before some pretty heavy, intense things that are going to be going on in the world and even in the heavenlies. Now, I'm not sure how John reckoned half an hour, okay, because, again, in the way that this whole vision is. But however he did it, it had to be pretty intense. If you figure you're there with myriads of innumerable angels and thousands upon thousands, even unnumbered multitudes, praising God and just the voice and the sound of all of that that has been so intense from chapter 4 and 5 since the time that they ushered him up into the heavens until now. And now there's this intense silence. Help us to try and understand this silence. I want you to turn with me to the Old Testament, to the book of Zephaniah. I love that name, Zephaniah. How many of you have children or grandchildren named Zephaniah? No, we ought to. That's a great name. Again, this is the word of the Lord coming from the prophet Zephaniah to the people, and he's speaking about these end times, these last days. Chapter 1, verse 7. Listen to what it says. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice and he has invited his guests. So it's a call for silence. Well, what does it mean and how does it relate to what we're looking at here in Romans 8? Well, it's here, again, as I said, through the prophecy of Zephaniah that the Lord gives us preview of this outpouring of his great wrath upon the unbelieving world. I want to back up. I want to look at this real quick, this first chapter of Zephaniah. Verse 2, listen to what it says. God is speaking through Zephaniah. He says, I will utterly consume a lot of things from the face of the land. Is that what it says? Everything. I will utterly consume everything from the face of the land, says the Lord. And then he goes on to list it. I will consume man and beast. I will consume the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea and the stumbling blocks along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the land, says the Lord. That sounds pretty intense to me. That sounds like 
major wrath, major judgment coming on. And I believe that's exactly what he's saying. And then he goes on in verse 4. He says, I will stretch out my hand against Judah. That's his people. Why? Because they had gone against him. They had sinned. Okay? And against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And I will cut off every trace of Baal from this place. The idolatry of these pagan gods that they were worshiping. He says, and, and the names of the idolatrous priest with the pagan priests. Those who worship the host of heaven on the housetops. In other words, they're, they're worshiping the stars. Not giving God the glory for the stars, but they begin to worship the stars. They worship the creation other than the creator. Those who worship and swear oaths by the Lord, but who also swear by Milcom. So in other words, they've got one hand in the church and one hand in the world. They're saying, oh yes, I love the Lord, but oh yes, I love the things of the world and these pagan deals. Now, we don't have pagan worship today, do we? Yeah, we do. We do. We may not call it Milcom or Baal, but, man, we worship the flesh. We worship the things of this world, all kinds of worship. Anything that comes in between you and the Lord, again, is an idol, and it can be an item of worship for you, a pagan worship. So he goes on, he says, verse 6, those who have turned back from following the Lord and have not sought the Lord nor inquired of him. You see, there was a time of revival at this time period right here. Josiah was now the king, and he had brought about a revival back to the Lord, but it wasn't 100%, and the people, some had come and said, oh, hey, it's a great revival. Let's go to the revival meeting tonight, and tomorrow night we'll go to the pagan temple. So we can have a little bit of, of both things, and that's what was going on. And so as the Lord is speaking through Zephaniah, the Lord says, no, I've had enough of that. And so he speaks again about the greatness of the judgment that he's bringing to all the people. So now in verse 7, be silent in the presence of the Lord God. There's no excuses. Just be silent. For the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice, and he has invited his guests. It's interesting, the sacrifice that the Lord's going to prepare. Let's go on and read. Verse 8, and it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children, and all such as are clothed with foreign apparel. And again, it's not the fact that, you know, you're wearing clothes that are made in China. Okay, that's not the deal. What he's talking about is they're, they're putting on these pagan garments, these outfits in the midst of their pagan worship, and that's what's going on. And the same day I will punish all those who leap over the threshold, who fill their master's houses with violence and deceit. Again, part of the pagan worship of the Philistines at that point, worshiping of Dagon. Because if you remember the story back in 1 Samuel where the statue of Dagon fell over and hit the threshold because, again, God was moving at that point in time and he knocked over the, the statue of Dagon. And so for them, in part of their pagan worship, they would not step on the threshold. Most all of us know, step on a crack, break your mother's back. You've heard that, right? Okay, this kind of the same kind of an idea, except they took it seriously. Don't step on the threshold because Dagon fell down upon the threshold. That's where he broke, you know, into pieces. So even believers were moving in superstition. That's kind of bizarre when you think about it. How many things superstitious do we do? Uh, I'm not going to walk under a ladder. Why not? 
Yeah, why not? Well, a black cat walked through there. No, I got to go. That's ridiculous. I mean, there are so many foolish things that I see even believers, you know, say, well, yeah, no, I don't do that. Oh, it's ridiculous. The Lord does not take pleasure in those things. For them here, it was particularly a part of pagan worship. Those who leapt over the threshold, who filled their master's houses with violence and deceit. Verse 10, and there shall be on that day, says the Lord, the sound of a mournful cry from the fish gate is where the merchants would come in. A wailing from the second quarter and a loud crashing from the hills. Wail, you inhabitants of Maktish, for all the merchant people are cut down. All those who handle money are cut off. In other words, their entire economy is going to collapse, is what the Lord is saying here. Verse 12, he says, And it shall come to pass at that day that I will search Jerusalem with lamps. In other words, there's not going to be hiding from God. There's no place to hide. And I will punish the men who settled in their complacency. Listen to what they say. They would say in their heart, The Lord will not do good, nor will he do evil. They have no concept of the reality of the providential hand and the work of God in all of his creation, the fact that God is still actively involved in lives of people. Oh, yeah, I believe that there's a God, but I just don't believe he's doing anything in lives. We just pretty much live our lives the way we want to live them. We try to live good. We try to live okay, but God's not too involved. Well, beloved, that's a lie right from the enemy. That's complacency. God knows and God is involved, and God desires that you know him and that you walk in obedience to his word. And to say, well, I don't know the word. I don't know what he declares. I believe, again, God has hidden his word in our hearts. And most of us have been around church long enough that we know the right from the wrong. We know the good from the evil. And to say that it doesn't really matter to God what's good or what's evil, again, man, we're fooling ourselves. He goes on to say in verse 13, Therefore their goods shall become booty, and their houses a desolation. They shall build houses, but not inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards, but not drink their wine. In other words, man, they're just working and working and working and working, and everything is just empty. There is no satisfaction, nothing in life. And then he says in verse 14, The great day of the Lord is near. It's near and it hastens quickly. The noise of the day of the Lord is bitter. There the mighty men shall cry out. Even the mighty men. This isn't women and children crying out. No, this is the mighty men. Again, that great day of the Lord, that's that final wrath outpouring of God. That's the end times. That's the last days wrath that he's pouring out. He says, the day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of devastation and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of what? Trumpet and alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. He says, I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk 
like blind men. In other words, they have absolutely no guidance in their lives. Even the things that they had planned for now has been so totally destroyed because the economy, everything is messed up, just like we're going to see in a moment in Revelation 8. The entire world, the whole structure of everything is in such disarray that they can't even walk straight at that point in time. They can't walk straight because they've sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath, but the whole land will be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Now, that's something we don't want to look forward to. That's something we want to say, Lord, I want to be with you when that wrath comes. I want to be in your presence when all that is poured out into the world. Listen to what he says in chapter 2, because I love that in the midst of this, God is still offering the people in Zephaniah's day this time of repentance. All of this is coming. But then in chapter 2, God says, gather yourselves together. Yes, gather together, you undesirable nation. He's not saying all you righteous got. No, you sinners, come. Come to me while there's still time. He says, come before the decree is issued or the day passes like chaff. Before the Lord's fierce anger comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, seek the Lord. There is time for mankind to seek the Lord now. But there will come that time when it's over. They've gone beyond the opportunity that the Lord gives for repentance. He says in verse 3, Seek the Lord, all you meek of the earth, who have upheld his justice, seek righteousness, seek humility. It may be that you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger. And I believe that hiddenness for those that come to Christ is, again, what the rapture does for us. Just as Noah was lifted up from the earth during the Lord's wrath upon the earth, a literal picture of, again, God's wrath on the earth and Noah being carried above that picture of the rapture of the church at that point in time. Even in the midst of all that, in the midst of all of this that's coming, God says, come and seek me in order that you will be hidden in that day of my anger. So let's go back to Revelation 8. He says, he opens the seventh seal. Remember, we've already had these cataclysmic things going on as these other seals were open. People have died. They've gone out conquering. They made war. They killed one another with a great sword. The economy of the world, the goods of the world were scarce. Took a bag of gold to buy a loaf of bread. All of these things, hunger and death and pestilence came. So all of that's been going on already. Now we come to chapter 8, the opening of that seventh seal, and there is a silence for about a half an hour. What is that silence for? I believe it's for a couple of things that we've seen even over in Zephaniah. First of all, I believe it could be a time, again, offering the ability for any final repentance before this final destruction comes. Once more, just the the mercy of God reaching out and saying, you know what, there's quietness now. Maybe now is the time to seek the Lord. Maybe it's a time of quietness because there's nothing that the nations can say. They can't say, oh, I plead innocent, or 
Oh, the, the reason I live that way is because you didn't know the way that I was raised as a child, and so that's my excuse for my, what happened before. No, there's no excuse at this point in time. There's, there's nothing to say to the Lord as this judgment comes. And so perhaps it's a silence because all of the nations had to stand there without excuse, without anything to be able to say at that point in time. The letters to the churches found in Revelation 2 and 3 repeat the phrase, to the one who overcomes, followed with a promise centered in God's goodness to his people. What does overcoming look like for you today? Maybe it's just getting up in the morning, getting dressed, and going out into life. Maybe it's continuing to sing his praises even through a tough circumstance. Maybe overcoming today is holding on to that small hope that tomorrow can be a better day in your marriage. Take some time today to check out those promises, remembering to hold on to Jesus because he is our hope. We're so glad you tuned in today to The Open Word. We know that life is tough, but doing life in community can make even the hardest situation more bearable. With that in mind, here's Pastor David with an invitation for you. Hey, if you're in the Casa Grande area and you're looking for a church to attend, I'd love to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. At 6.30 p.m., we meet on Wednesday evenings and Saturday evenings. You can find directions and a little more about the church by visiting theopenword.com. Follow the links at the bottom of the page to Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. I'm excited to have you be a part of our time of Bible study and fellowship. Our website, one more time, is theopenword.com. Information about the church is at the bottom of that page, the link for Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. Thanks, Pastor David. With that, our time with you has come to an end. Pastor David still has much to share, though, so be sure to tune in again to continue walking verse by verse through Revelation. That's right here on The Open Word. Make-